0: Welcome to part two of this series that we're calling In This Together. As we get started during this second week, wondering if you've ever, during this year, asked yourself this question. Have you asked yourself whether this year, 2020, um, just might be some horrible alternative reality that we've been forced to live in and to live through, (laughs) let me share with you a little bit of what I mean, although you probably can already guess. I mean, just take just last week as an example, just the last seven days and forget about the rest of the year. I was thinking about the last seven days that in almost any other year of my life, last week, Um, would have been probably the most difficult, controversial, and worst year or week of the entire year. I mean, think about it. We had um, shootings, and we had riots, and we had looting. We had athletes from about five of the major sports boycotting playing games. Um, We had one of the biggest fires in California history go through California. We had a huge hurricane go through parts of Texas. There was a political convention going on for four days of those seven, which those are always fun. And then some of my friends from the band reminded me that before the week was over, we found out that uh, the actor who played Black Panther died. And I'm not trying to make light of anything that happened last week. It was a heavy week. Um, But here's what I would say. Nothing seems to surprise us in 2020. And in this year, that week was just an ordinary week, it almost seems. Pastor Matt was spot on last week um, when he reminded us that we live in a broken world and how important that is for us to remember. You see, it's because of sin that this world, it doesn't work the way God originally intended. Because of sin in people, People don't get along the way that God originally intended. And as we, we think about this year and this world that we live in, I think there's something really important for us to remember to keep perspective. And that's that this life is not that all that there is, that there is a life that is greater than this life, than what we see right now. And that someday, all those who put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, we are gonna be taken from this life and what we see. And we're gonna receive a new life that lasts forever that no longer has death or mourning or crying or pain. But in the meantime, in the meantime, this broken world with sin means that there are gonna be weeks like last week and there's gonna be even years like this year. And if any of you have felt particularly burdened by the last five months or any of you have had moments where you felt the heaviness of life kind of bearing down on you and almost felt a little bit like You didn't know what to do. I want you to know that it's not because you don't have strong faith necessarily. I want you to know this that in those feelings, you're not alone. I think we need to talk about this. I think we need to acknowledge the heaviness. I mean, if this is of any help, I'm a pastor, I'm called by this family of believers to lead spiritually, to be a shepherd of God's people. People look at me and Pastor Matt and they think, and I put think in quotes, like that we always have it together because you're a pastor. I want you to know you are not alone in feeling the heaviness of life right now, that I have felt it too, that I have felt the difficulty of this year. And it has been difficult. So here's what I I wanna do though today. I want to point out a very simple and practical way that God has given to us to help endure the heaviness and the difficulty of the year 2020 and really any moment or any year. But before I share with you that practical thing, I first wanna talk to you about a very unique and important thing, the way that God has uniquely wired us. So I was uh, watching a TED talk recently where a secular author, I don't know that he was a Christian, he didn't mention anything about God in his TED talk, so I'm thinking not, but is an author, a British author named Johan Hari. And in studying for writing of a book, he interviewed doctors and clinical psychologists and therapists. And one of the things he found out for certain is something that you've probably already thought intuitively, and that's this, that in our world, the number of people affected by anxiety and depression has increased. And I want you to know too that this studying that he did was prior to COVID, was prior to the pandemic, that the number of people affected by anxiety and depression in this world has increased. And here's the other thing that when it comes to the United States rate of increase, we are at or near the top. And as Johan did a little bit more studying on this, What he found as he talked to doctors is that the things that cause people to be anxious or depressed, if you take all those hundreds or thousands of things, that all of them could be put into about nine different categories of things that cause people to be depressed or anxious. And as he looked at those categories, he found out this. He found out that two of them are biological. Two of the categories he saw were biological causes to depression and anxiety. What I mean by that is, uh, let's say, a a chemical imbalance, something in your genes, something physical that causes you to be anxious or feeling depressed. But what he also found to me is even more, I guess, surprising, but important is that seven of the causes, seven of the categories, the vast majority of the causes for anxiety and depression are environmental. And what that means is that it's the way we live. It's what we think about. It's how we live. And this is really, really important. And I want you to know that as a counselor and as a pastor, I totally understand that there are certain circumstances and certain times where antidepressants are helpful and needed. I totally believe in that. I totally understand that. But when you look at the nine categories and the the numbers, what you also come to realize what is without a doubt clear is that most of the time our anxiety and depression is not about the physical and it's less about a chemical imbalance and it's more about life imbalance about the things that we're thinking about and the way that we live our lives not being a way that allows us to be emotionally or spiritually healthy. And when Johan looked at all the different categories and, and all the different things that affected these environmental causes, one of the biggest things was isolation. What he recognized is also something you probably know, that we are more isolated as a people relationally, than at any point in history. And again, this was prior to COVID. This was prior to the time where everyone's wearing masks. This was prior to the time where three quarters of the congregation stays home on Sunday and watches online rather than be in person. This is, this is prior to all of that. We were already isolated. So Johann mentions a conversation he had with a, a, a pretty famous doctor in Britain, His name's Sam Everington. And Sam shared, Dr. Everington, how he treated one of the people that came to him with this depression. Her, Her name is Lisa. And as Lisa told Dr. Everington her story, he acknowledged, there's a lot of things in your life that are heavy. The fact that you're feeling down makes total sense. He said, here's some antidepressants, but I'm also going to prescribe for you something else. I want you to meet with a group of 10 other people once a week for six months. And as you gather together, I don't want you just to wallow in all the difficult heaviness that you're going through. Yeah, you can talk about it, but what... We're gonna do is we're gonna design this group of about eleven people that, that what you're gonna talk about are, are the things that make you happy, the things that you can be thankful for. We're gonna design a group where you're gonna together go after a common purpose, and you're gonna go after that together. This group, in fact, if you listen to the TED talk, they they ended up doing a community garden together. And do you know what Dr. Everington found? as Lisa was in this group for six months. As positive community grew in her life, so did her positive mental health. That being around people in healthy relationships is a humongous blessing and need for us as we endure not just the year 2020, but life itself. Now, this is not just something that science discovered. This is the way that God wired us. Think back to the very first person that God created. There's for a while one guy on the entire planet his name was Adam. And while he was by himself, some of you in the room might remember what God said. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, some of the women online or in the room are thinking, yeah, a guy would not survive on his own. And so that must be what God meant. But it's not just what he meant. What he meant is it's not good for people to be alone. God was calling out what it took, you know, so many thousands of years for a TED Talk to say is that community and healthy relationships with other people is so important. This is how God wired us to do life together, to not be in isolation. And this leads to our, our first fill-in for today. It's the theme of my message. We are better together, not because Johann Hari says so, but because God says so. Because that's how God created all of us. And what I'd like to do with the rest of the time that we have together this morning is I'd like to take a look at a section of scripture that tells us how this is true and why this is true. So what we're going to do is look at some words that were written by a king in the 900s B.C., That king's name, some of you are going to recognize, his name was Solomon. And Solomon was one of the the greatest, the the best uh, kings uh, that ever lived. In fact, at the time um, that he lived, he was the wealthiest man in the world. He was um, the most successful person. He was the wisest man. He had it all. When it came to life, Solomon had it all, he did it all, he experienced it all. And when he was an old man, some of you might know this, he wrote a letter about his life as he looked back on it. And frankly, it was kind of depressing, his letter. It's called Ecclesiastes. And in that letter, as he looks back on his life, this guy who had it all the one word theme that comes up over and over and over again is the word meaningless. He looks at this life, recognizes there's a life that's bigger than this life. And his reaction is this life, the things that I thought were important, the things that I went after, the things that I did with my life, in retrospect, a lot of it, as he's near his death, truly meaningless. And in part of that book, Solomon talks a little bit about community. I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter four, beginning with verse seven. He says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. This was like a long list. You want to read it for yourself. Not on a day where you're feeling particularly heavy though, okay? Um, But read the, the rest of the book on your own. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Here's what I saw. There was a man, he was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. So Solomon describes a man who sought to find fulfillment and significance through collecting a lot of things in this world through wealth. And it sounds like from these verses that he was pretty successful at it. It says that he was wealthy. He had wealth. And yet when he looked at it, it didn't bring him the significance or the value or the purpose or the happiness that he thought it would. Why? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons to that. But a big one was this. He was all alone. That the fact that he had no one to share it with, the fact that he had no one to go through life together with was a huge factor in him not being able to enjoy the life that he had. And at the end of the day, he calls it just meaningless. A a miserable business. Um, could you think of a a culture at all in our world today that puts a lot of value on wealth and stuff? Have you ever experienced anything like that? (laughs) I think this is one of the big ways that Americans are trying all they can do to find significance and value and purpose with the things that we have. And it's not bad to want things. It's a matter of how much value and purpose we put in those things. And just like there's junk food that can do us no good, I think America is filled with junk values that do us no good. 15 years ago or so, there was a documentary. Some of you might remember it. It's called uh, Super Size Me. It wasn't a movie. It was a documentary about a guy who decided for a month to eat nothing except McDonald's Big Macs, fries, and soda. I mean, what a wonderful diet, right, for an entire month. So three, day, three times a day, he's eaten McDonald's for an entire month. Now, what do you think that did to him after a month? Like, that wasn't good, duh. It wasn't helpful, it wasn't healthy. In fact, um, he gained 25 pounds in 30 days. His cholesterol level went up by 65 points. His blood pressure went up and his liver was damaged. A month of eating just junk food. A steady diet of junk values Has just as much power to make us unhealthy. Junk food like Big Macs, fries, and soda for every meal are gonna do a number on our physical health. If we consume mindlessly the things this world says is important, and not question it, not push back on it, just consume it as like it's, it's real and true and significant, that we can find significance in success and in wealth and the things that we have. When we consume those junk values without thinking about it, they have just as much power to make us unhealthy, not physically necessarily, but emotionally and spiritually. And it's all around us. It's all around us. In fact, you know that when you consume junk values without thinking about it, well, Tim Kasser, a professor in the United States, has this very interesting conclusion. He says, the more you believe that you can buy and display your way out of sadness and into a good life, the more likely you are to become depressed and anxious. It's not even just... Flatlined. The more you try to buy it, the more likely you are to be depressed and anxious. Why? Because all of a sudden, all of your happiness and significance is riding on me and what I can get and what I can earn. And I better keep all the balls in the air because if that's where I get my significance, if one drops or if I don't be who I want to be or accomplish what I want to accomplish, all of a sudden it's a crumbling deck of cards and we become more anxious and more depressed. Now, in contrast to this, Jesus had something very interesting to say. He has something very interesting to say about what a full life looks like. He says in John chapter 10, he says, I have come that the world may have life And have it to the full. And he's not just talking about the difference that he makes for eternity, while that is so true and so helpful. Jesus is saying that when eternity has been secured, I also give you a full life here on earth. Our value, number two, is not found in what we earn, it's found in what Christ has earned. So what has what he earned? He, on the cross, he um, earned our forgiveness where Christians should be the least guilt-ridden people on the planet. That even that thing from our 20s or whenever it was that we've been having a really hard time forgiving ourselves for, God has forgiven us Um, he gives us a relationship with the creator of the universe this amazing is what he's won for us He, he also gives us eternal life I mean our value is not found in the things that we can do the things that we do but in what Christ has earned for us there is a life that is greater than this life Solomon then continues as he expands on the importance of community. Verse nine, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Uh, Pretty logical. If you got two people working on something, it's gonna go quicker, likely gonna go better, likely. When you've got two people working together on the same project, it's a good return for their labor. Then he continues this way. He says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. What's the first thing you think about when you read these words? Um, I, I think you think about the, the very clear um, idea of someone walking along a road, and whether it's a curb they didn't see or uh, a rock or I don't know, a tree limb or something, they trip. And as you're walking, it's great to have someone near you so you don't have to get up on your own, but they help kind of physically pull you up. That's the most obvious understanding of these words, but it's, it's not at the heart of what Solomon's writing about. He's not talking here specifically about people who are stumbling and falling physically. He's talking about... People who stumble and fall spiritually, stumble and fall emotionally. And very interestingly, Jesus also speaks in the same way. As he was getting um, his disciples ready to go out, he was training them about what the Christian life looks like. He warns them. In Luke chapter 17, he says this things that cause people to stumble. Again, he's not talking about curbs and rocks and tree limbs. He's talking about things that cause people to stumble emotionally and spiritually. They are bound to come, it's gonna happen. There's this one very obscure manuscript that I I found. I don't know if it was one of the Dead Sea Scrolls or not, but uh, if you look closely at the Greek, it actually ends this way. Especially in the year 2020, um, things are bound to come. Um, I'm joking about that uh, manuscript, but I'm not joking about this. This has been a year of understanding that things that make people to stumble are bound to come. Jesus told us that that, would happen. Jesus told us that that could and would happen. Verse nine, let's go back to that. It says, if either of them falls, one can help the other up. What an amazing blessing it is to have someone that's walking through life with us. Now, for some of you, Who currently or at times have felt like you're in a season of being alone? Here's what I want you to know that the greatest fulfillment of this is the fact that Jesus walks with you. That even when you're alone, you're never really alone. That Jesus is always there with His strength, with His forgiveness with his power to help us endure even the most difficult seasons. And yet, while that is true, Solomon was pointing towards something different than that. Maybe I could say it this way, that the best way to walk through life is with people next to you. And yes, we could talk about that as the blessing of family and the blessing of marriage, But that's not the only thing that Solomon is talking about. He's talking about having other Christians in our lives. That guys, you need other Christian guys in your life. That women, you need other Christian women who are walking through life with you because things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Again, maybe it's helpful to think about this from a physical perspective. I read about a snowboarder who went outside of where he should have been snowboarding in Colorado and basically got lost and stranded in a snowstorm. Guess how many people were looking for him? None. You know why? Because no one knew where he had gone. He didn't tell anybody. So no one was checking in on him. No one was looking out for him. There was no one to help him because he didn't communicate with anyone. The same thing that happens physically for that snowboarder can happen to us spiritually and emotionally. Who in your life knows the things that you struggle with most? Who in your life, other than your spouse if you're married, Have you confided in when it comes to things to sort of help you avoid or to navigate, the the things that are particularly tempting? Who have you let in like that? And who are you growing and helping and being a blessing to in that same way? How important it is to have people that are there there is community and is encouragement again remember what solomon says he says pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up he says pity that person i feel sorry for that person there is emotion in this hebrew word pity and you know where i think solomon gets his emotion from that word from is his own life I've preached on this section maybe 10, 12 years ago or so, but I didn't think about the context for Solomon as he talks about having someone to help you if you were to stumble. Remember what I described to you about who Solomon was? The most powerful and wealthy and smartest man on the planet. Do you know what's hard to get when you're that important and wealthy and powerful? Accountability. It's hard for people around you to tell you what you may really need to hear in a loving, guiding way. When you're the most powerful, wealthy person on the planet, I don't think Solomon had anyone like this in his life. And as you see him towards, well, the middle to end of his life, there are a lot of ways that he stumbled, both relationally and spiritually. I think he's looking back on his life and he's pitying himself a little bit. If only I had someone in my life that would have understood my temptations and would have helped me up when I stumbled or helped me to avoid stumbling all together. But here's the thing. This will never happen, this type of relationship by accident. Number four, walking together like that will never happen accidentally. It always takes or it's going to take intention. And I want you to know that's why this church, this Church Family North Cross, that our core ministry, what we have designed our ministry around is getting Christians into small groups. At North Cross, we call them growth groups. And all the way from when you're two years old to your twilight years or your golden years, I should say, when you've retired, there is a group, a group opportunity to grow in community for everyone. Because what we recognize is coming to church on Sunday morning or watching online, you can be fed God's word, but there's no accountability here. That happens when you get eight to 12 people together on a regular basis, talking about life and highs and lows, the things that I struggle with and the things that I need encouragement with. Groups have been a huge blessing to a lot of people here at North Cross, and Just for a moment, I wanted to highlight a couple of them with this short video. Hey, Northgrass family. Uh, This is Mike and Katie Bader, and uh, we were just going to talk about our growth group a little bit. Also, we are camping with our growth group this weekend, hence the woodsy background. So, tons of fun memories made with growth group. We really love it, and uh, the connections that we've made with the old Christian friends, and uh, new ones. Being a part of my ladies' growth group during this time of wandering has really helped me by having a weekly meeting to look forward to and staying connected with people. The women lift me up and guide me to solutions on problems through God. Aloha. I'm Di. I'm coming to you by way of Oahu, Hawaii. And I wanted to tell you that my experience with the North Cross growth groups came about as part of uh, a natural way to connect with people after doing a starting point. It also helps me to see people although virtually a smile is so healthy to see. Staying connected is healthy and important. I am a part of two different groups, one a retirement group and one a ladies group that uh, in both of them we're able to do uh, connecting with Prayers as well as studying the messages each Sunday. I'm especially grateful for that opportunity being this far away and still having a chance to do distance learning. I think our growth groups are a really neat opportunity to just dig into how God's Word applies to our lives, and it's really fun to talk about that with other Christians who are going through a lot of the same experiences as we are. So it, it's a really fun um opportunity and everybody in our church should join a growth group so we can all become better connected. Is everyone's growth group experience at North Cross perfect? No. Does it take a while to achieve the sort of accountability and love that we talked about from the words of Solomon? Yeah. Are there ways that we need to improve groups at North Cross? Absolutely, and we're working on that. But here's what I know. Whether it's a group of North Cross people in community, whether it's some college students in the dorm, or whether it's people at work who share a common faith, if you on a regular basis show up, join in, and be real with each other, It's going to be a blessing. You see, we were created not to do life apart. We were created to do life together. And never has there been a time where I've been more passionate about the blessing of being in community than right now. So, would you consider joining a small group? Or if you're new to North Cross, joining Starting Point You can get more information about that by going to the main page of our website and clicking on one of those boxes. I'm going to keep you guys in my prayers, and if you're already in a group, I'm going to pray that God would continue to grow the transparency and the accountability that you have with those people. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that you have not left us to do life on our own. And whether we are single or married, young or old, you have put people around us to be a blessing. You have put Christians in our lives to encourage and to strengthen. And Lord, I just pray that you would work in us a desire to be more intentional with that in both the receiving, but also in the giving. And that you would bless your people we strengthen and encourage each other with the message of your Son, Jesus, and with the truth that there is a life that is greater than this life. We pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name.